Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel, the conclusion, part two. Daniel 12. And just because we couldn't get it all in on one conclusion, we got to put it on two. So conclusion part two. Daniel is a um, is a at the one on the one hand a very easy book, chapters one through six, really easy, uh, super easy to to apply, uh, great lessons, uh, stories that are real common in kids Sunday school classes. You know, lion's den, the fiery furnace, the uh, not eating the king's food. I mean, these are just stories that, that are super easy to apply. Great, 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 uh, powerful lessons about how to conduct our life on a daily basis. Super easy to take away and just say, you know, now this is what I've learned. I can go and apply it tomorrow and, and, or tonight and make a big difference in my life, hopefully. And, uh, and then you get to Daniel chapter 7. And the tide changes. And you go from what Daniel was in his public life. He was an administrator. He was a um, um, prime minister. Uh, you know, only two guys in the entire Bible other than Jesus who have no li at least listed sins. Now, obviously, Daniel is one of these guys, and the reason why I'm pointing him out, obviously, Daniel was not a perfect guy. I mean, he had sin in his life. It's just that there's not a, a sin listed in the Scriptures to him. It's not true with David, of course. You're familiar with David. Not true with Moses. Not true with Abraham. Not true with Samuel. Not true with Elijah. Elisha. I mean, all these great men. Ladies, the same thing. Ruth, uh, Esther. All these have these discrepancies about their lives. But Daniel doesn't have a single thing listed that he did wrong. We know that he did. We just don't know what it is. There's only one other guy in the Bible who was also had the same credits. You know who that was? Joseph. Two public officials, isn't that interesting? Two, we could say, politicians, high-ranking politicians who had, didn't have anything listed against them, who were stellar in their careers as far as, uh, far as the Bible, the way the Bible uh, states them. And so, anyway, so we have in the book of Daniel, first of all, this easy application of the first six chapters, and then Daniel 7 on, we have these very difficult stories of prophecy, of apocalyptic language, of symbols, and things taking place. The majority of it is shaded towards the very end of the end times. And uh, so much of it is hard to understand and hard, hard to come up with. And, and then when we get to Daniel chapter uh, 12, we have a similar thing. And Daniel 12 is kind of a summation, these summative statements of, of these things that are going to be happening in the end times. And it's sort of somebody stated it this way, and I thought it was a good application. He said it's sort of like running a marathon. It's like the last six miles of a marathon when you get to the chapter 12 of Daniel. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever ran a marathon here? Like 26 is 26.2 or something like that miles. It seems like 100 miles, but it's only 26.2 miles. I don't run those because I save my running for when stuff is chasing me. That's what I do. <laughs> I can do that, but I'm going to wait until stuff is chasing me. So, but, but, but Daniel chapter 6 on, and especially Daniel 12, is like the, the, sixth, the last six miles of a marathon. When you train for a marathon, I only know this because I read it, don't, not through experience. You don't train by running 26 miles or 26.2 or whatever it is. You don't train by doing that. You don't go out every week and every day run 26 miles. You'll kill yourself. Your body can't take it. And so they say the maximum, for the person, experts say, the maximum you should train at is 20 miles. Maximum. Never do more than 20 on any given day, any given time that you run. Better to run a half marathon. Become good at a half. Become good at the 12-mile mark, the 15-mile mark. Occasionally make it to the 20. Never run 26. Save the 26 for the actual race. The thing about that is, is that if I never go more than 20, that means those last six miles is kind of no man's land. Never seen them before. 
How's it going to be? I don't really know because I've never gone past 20 miles if I'm training for a marathon. At least I'm not supposed to. So that last six miles, even though I have, I have to trust my training, but one thing I can be sure, it's not going to be fun, right? It's kind of where you are in Daniel. You get to Daniel chapter 12, or Daniel 6 or 7, 7 on really, but Daniel 12 especially, it starts talking about these, these events that, that are even yet to be for us. They're even way ahead of these last days that, that speaks of. And we don't know what they're like. In fact, in fact, it says we can't know what they're like because we have nothing to compare them to. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. About a halfway down it says, and there will be, in that verse, it says, there will be a time of distress such as has never, mark it carefully, never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And he says, at that time your people, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. In other words, you can't compare it to anything. There's no reference point. There's no point of reference to say, oh, it'll be like this or it'll be like that. Daniel, I mean, God says to Daniel, no, it will not. It will not be like anything. It's no man's land. Nobody has ever seen it. Nobody can comprehend it. It's, like I said, the last six miles of, of the marathon of, of the history of life that God has given to us. And we're on a course that God has set for us. No one has ever been there, and so it's unimaginable to a certain degree. Nowhere, let me just say this carefully, nowhere does the Bible predict that things get better. Nowhere. Not Old or New Testament. Never says it. So if you listen to a preacher that says things are going to get better, or we're headed into better days. He's not getting that from the Bible. Now, he's getting that from somewhere, maybe Sports Illustrated or something, but it's not in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, it says we're headed down. Now, it doesn't say we don't plateau. I would say in our culture, the Western culture, as far as America, and this is just my strict opinion, and it has nothing to do maybe with reality at all, so keep it near the trash can. But in, in America, in my opinion, the Western culture plateaued. We were headed world was headed like this and it plateaued through God's grace and the work he does did through the United States of America of course in my opinion in my strict opinion maybe in everyone's opinion we're, we're off the plateau again headed but not that way that way so America was uh, if you will a bastion of peace a bastion of of at least some adherence to the scriptures and things that were right and now we push God out we push the scriptures out so where are we headed not up down Western culture, Eastern culture has been down for a while. Western Europe has been down for a while. Uh, third world, I mean, where are we headed with all this? Well, I can tell you the Bible says over and over again, down. Again, Old Testament, now you got in the New Testament, Paul says, but mark this. So, so it's interesting. So, Paul's writing to Timothy. This is the middle of the book he writes to Timothy, for the second, second book he writes to Timothy. So, but mark this, so everything else in Timothy he doesn't have to mark. It's like, you know, this is sort of nonchalant conversation I'm having with you, Timmy. But once he gets to chapter 3, mark this. Now, everything in the book is markable, if you will. But he, he, he takes, if you will, you know, Timothy, look in my eyes, boy. Hear what I'm about to say. There will be terrible times in the last days. How do we know when the last days? He's going to give a descriptive here. See if you recognize it. People will be lovers of themselves. You know anything like that? That's not our culture, right? There's, it'll be terrible when that happens, right? But it's great that everybody is not self-absorbed in our culture. At least in the West, we're in the last days, to be sure. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Just a shout-out for you. We're going to start Sunday night, a study on the bondage of money. Not this Sunday, not tonight, not next Sunday night, but the next Sunday night. Jesus has come to set us free from bondage. We're in bondage in the Western culture and United States culture to money. We're in bondage to it. It controls us. 
Uh, we're in so much debt, unnecessary debt. We're going to talk about that. It's going, to be, it's going to be a sermon series on money. It's not going to be about giving, though. So I'm going to only go because the preacher's going to talk about how much money we're not giving. No, this church gives great. This is a financially free and, and prosperous church as far as that goes. It's not going to be anything about that. I've got no axe to grind, no, none of that stuff. But it is going to be talking about how we handle our personal money and how so many times, even when we have tons of money, we're in bondage to it. It controls us. It is an epidemic in our culture. People are lovers of themselves, lovers of money. You've got a lot of that happening. Boastful, proud, abusive. I haven't seen a thing yet that disagrees with where we are currently. Have you? Disobedient to their parents. That's not going on, is it? Ungrateful. Hear a lot of that. Unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's like reading the newspaper, isn't it? Just like it. Terrible times. See, it's because, of the, it's because people are terrible that things are terrible. It's not the animals causing them. It's not the environment. It's not the ocean and the sharks and stuff. It's not the whales. It's people. We're destroying this place. We're destroying ourselves. We're destroying our marriages. We're destroying our families. We're destroying our culture because we are terrible. The reason why terrible times is because you've got terrible people in the midst of it. People who are not honoring God with their lives. They're not following God. They're not making the right choices. They're, not, they're turning their backs on him. And so for that reason, God is going to bring this whole mess to an end. And that's what you have in the book of Daniel. It doesn't, doesn't just say it in Daniel. It says it in Revelation and other places. We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So that's sometime in the future. So God has not taken currently his great power and begun to reign. How do we know that? Because of what it's going to tell us right here. Because when he starts doing this, and, and let me say, let me just, uh, can we all agree God, is, God reigns, does he not? God does reign. I hope he reigns over your personal life. I want him to reign over my personal life. I want him to reign over Island Baptist Church and everything that we do. But understand, when you look out in the culture, you see the culture doing whatever they want to, shaking their fist at God and still being alive, you can be sure God has not taken his great power and begun to reign. Because when he does, it will not look like that anymore. Here's how it's going to look. Watch. You've taken your great power, and you have begun to reign, namely, by evidence this way, by rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. Do you see that going on today? No, the, 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 the good die young, right? No good deed goes unpunished. It's as if the, the people that are trying to do the best in the world, they're the ones that are being held back. They're the ones being spoken against. Well, there's going to come a day in which that's going to be flipped. It's going to go the other way. So, first of all, rewarding those, your servants, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. And, notice, how are we going to know when God comes to reign? By the evidence of the destroying those who destroy the earth. So, the good die young, and the bad just keep on living, doing whatever they want to. Well, yep. That's the way it is right now. But when God comes to reign in power, it will be flip. Complete flip, permanent flip. And it will completely change. So God is going to bring it in in a fashion that it describes here in the book of Daniel and also in Revelation and other places. And what we have here in Daniel 12 is these summative statements that tell us how we are to act and how we're to conduct ourselves between now and when God begins to reign in authority. He has the authority. He has the ability but he's holding himself back, as we're going to see just for a second in just a minute. We're going to see because there is appointments that he is going to be keeping uh, with the world. So first of all, God tells us these things, as we say here and see here in Daniel, these summative statements. He tells us this, first of all, so that we can know that he's in control. 
So Daniel was written like 600 years before Jesus, and Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. We're talking 2,600 years ago. God tells us these things, how it's going to be, even yet. I mean, into our future. He's speaking way ahead of time. I don't know how long. We're certainly in the end times. How long does it last? When it's over, I'll tell you. No one knows, right? But there, as we're going to see, that God has appointed times. And when these appointments, he begins to call on these appointments, then we're going to know. And like I said, things are going to be flipped and different. So, so, but he writes us this ahead of time so that we can say, because when we go through disasters and hard times, the, one of the first questions I hear all the time is, where was God in all this? Well, he's already answered the question for you. He's in the middle of it. He's sovereign over it. He's not out of control. This world is spiraling down because he's allowing it to, because that's what we chose. We chose sin. We chose a dark Lord. And so he's, got to allow, he's going to allow it all to go. I'm going to let you play your best, he says to Satan. Play your best card. Do it, lead, uh, lead as many as you want to astray as I begin to teach them and call them. He's going to allow them to pull out all, of his, all the stops. And so that's where it's headed. It's headed down because we're, we're among those who destroy the earth. And so God's going to destroy us or God's going to destroy the world that we've, we've created for ourselves. So, so he gives us this information, first of all, to let us know that he's in control. He's in control, but also that he keeps his appointments. Look, look you're in chapter 12. Look at chapter 11. Look at verse 35. By the way, 36 is about the Antichrist and following all the way into chapter 12. 35, he says, and some, the end times, of those who have insight, notice, so they know, they know what's going on, they're walking with God, and yet nonetheless they fall. Why? Because sometimes bad people do, I mean good people do die young. Sometimes Jesus died at 33, John the Baptist is not much older, maybe younger. Sometimes good people do die young. Well, God should let uh, good people live. Well, you're not God. So, so you don't get to make those kind of decisions. God got his plans. He's got his ways. He's got his fish to fry. Let him do it. Let him be God. Stop trying to figure out everything and, and stop trying to tell him what to do. It's not what prayer is. So some of those who have insight will fall. Notice, he's got a, there's a reason for this. In order to refine, all right, purge, make them pure. So he's got to let you fall to do that. Sometimes, sometimes things got to get bad before they get better. That's true for my life. Make them pure until the end because it is still to come, notice, at the appointed time. There's an appointment that God has. And we hear this word, and it's not a biblical word, but we say sometimes, well, as long as Jesus tarries, as long as God's judgment tarries. Listen, God's judgment is not tarrying. There's not like a, it's not like a floating thing on the calendar out there, future events that God was just waiting until God gets ticked off enough, and then he's going to end the whole thing. That's not the way it works. It says in the scriptures all the time, there's an appointment that God has for the world, everybody in it. And God's going to keep that appointment. Anybody uh, not from the South Texas? I know we have some people from San Antonio and different places. You're not from here, but how many people don't live here at all? So I want to tell you what life is like down here. They make an appointment for you at a certain time of the doctor's office. You can be certain that is not when you're going to see the doctor. 100% of the time. 100%. One 100% of the time, you can bet a jillion dollars on it. It won't happen that way. I don't know if it's that way the way you're from, but that's the way it is in South Texas. I've lived down here for 25 years. For instance, my wife and I, my wife has an eye, had eye surgery. We had to see the doctor this past Tuesday. We had an appointment, get this, at 6.45 in the evening. Now, who makes an appointment like that? Who works at that time? 
Well, who, we had a 6.45 appointment. We didn't see the doctor till 9.45. In La Noche. Yeah, at nighttime. So who, and that's when the doctor was in, at, at nighttime. Okay. So we got to see the doctor. Well, I want to say this to you. God does not keep his appointments in that way. God is very precise. If it says in the scriptures, he's appointed unto man once to die. One, you get one shot. It's not a circle of life out there. Once to die, and then you face the judgment. It's appointed unto man. So it's an appointment that you're going to keep. You will not be late for that appointment. You may get to be early. You act bad. But you will not be late. You will not be. But it's interesting. God has an appointment, it says here in verse 35, for, for the entire world with regards to judgment. But it's not the same appointment that he has for those who belong to him. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us. To wrath. Can I get a praise the Lord for that? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. He's not judging me for who I really am. He's judging me based upon the merits of Jesus and not on the merits of Bill. Because if, it were, if that were true, then verse 35 would be true for me over here in the book of Daniel because I, I deserve judgment. I've earned it. I'm really good at sinning. I don't know about you. I've been at it a long time. I'm trying to break, trying to, trying to, I'm on a 12 step program of getting out of that. And I'm not addicted to anything other than sin, guys. I don't have a chemical problem, but I'm telling you, um, if, if you're a sin, what does the scripture say? If you sin, you're a slave to sin. Don't tell me you're not addicted to stuff. You're overwhelmed with sin. And you have to trust the Lord and walk with the Lord continually to come out of that. But, 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 it's, but your judgment is not going to be based upon that. Your judgment will be based upon what? Not what you've done, but what Christ has done for you. Notice he's not appointed you. And he's going to keep that appointment. Not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, as we said before. Praise the Lord for that. So God tells us these things as he tells us here in Daniel 12, because he wants us to know that he's in control. And then number two, he, God tells us this so that we will not be surprised when troubling time comes. You know, sometimes we, we, a lot of us don't get into the, the whole end times events and stuff like that. And, and I, I can understand that because I was kind of that way at one point. And, and we say, I'd rather not know. I, all I need to know, here, here's, our, here's our presumptive position all i need to know is that we win in the end so so let me ask you this so he's the shepherd right i hope he is it, so that means you're a sheep isn't that true and sheep are always what they're always dumb they never get over dumbness so but you as the shepherd has given you what we call the scriptures the bible and he's written you details in here about things that that according to the shepherd that you're supposed to know, but you as a sheep have decided that you're only going to know certain things about the things that you're supposed to know. So he's the doctor and you're the patient and yet you're going to tell him how he's going to treat you for your ailments and you wonder why you wake up every day not getting better because you ain't doing what he told you to do. So he's given you prescription, the whole Bible, some of the stuff is easy to digest and some of it's not and I know that. You say, well, I just can't understand certain, certain things. Well, it's not about you. You've got a whole book in the Bible that people don't like to get into called the Revelation. Now, if it was called the, I don't know, the consternation or the uh, uh, um, ununderstandable scriptures, then I would say, okay, well, then probably you shouldn't read that. Save it for the smart people or whatever. I'm not among them. But because it's titled the Revelation, if I told you I had a revelation this week, does that mean I learned something, I, don't, I know something less or that I know something more? So if he gives you a whole book that says the revelation, it's something more that you, you can know. And a lot of times we have, we have this issue in the Baptist churches. We talked about, and it's a common uh, 
I don't know if it's not a Baptist doctrine, but it's just a Bible doctrine. We call it the priesthood of the believer. It just means that if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't go through some priest to go to God. I go straight to God. I don't go through some, I don't go through a pastor, I go through a leader. I go straight to God. I get on my knees before God and I ask him for direction for my life. I go, I go straight to him. But we, so we're all about that in the Baptist churches. Priesthood of believer, priesthood of believer, priesthood of believer. And then we turn right around and we expect the preachers and the pastors and the leaders to think for us. Now, you got a Bible, you got a brain, may not be very good one like mine, may not be working very well just like mine. And you've got, most importantly, the Holy Spirit. He expects you to know this stuff. And the reason why he wrote it is because he wants you to know it. If he didn't want you to know it, he wouldn't have put it in there. So you're not investing yourself. You're not giving sweat equity to this. And then you're wondering, Jesus, notice, you're wondering why you don't have the peace that Jesus promises. He says this about a particular situation of his disciples, but I think it applies to the whole Bible. I have told you this, these things, so that in me you may have peace. You hear it? You have to have heard me. You have to have heard what I said. I told you this, so that means you had to have listened. So I've I, I told you this, so, so, that, so, so that in me you may have peace. So if you're not listening, guess what? So at the end of the month when things aren't going well, you're praying for Jesus for peace, right? And he's already, what has he told you? He's like, I already, I'm already giving you a prescription for it, but you didn't take it. And now you're coming to me because things aren't working, and I can tell you why. Because you're not taking what I told you to take. In this world you will have trouble. He's told us that. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So how am I going to take heart and have peace? I'm going to have to take what he's given to me. All of it. I'm just not a Bible scholar because you're not applying yourself. You're scholars and other stuff. Don't you know your own phone number? No, I really don't. You have to call me to let me know what money is actually anymore. It's weird, isn't it? Don't, don't you know where you live? Don't you know your social security number? So you can learn stuff. Get into the Bible. Quit making excuses. Know what it says. Say, I can't figure it out. Well, read it again and again and again and ask Jesus to open up your eyes because he's not giving you something to keep you, keep you in the dark. He's giving you something to get you into the light. And that's the whole purpose here. We're called to be the light. How can we be the light if we don't know how the light works? So that brings us to the next thing. God tells us that. So he tells us what he tells us here in Daniel so that we can know what, make good use of our time. Notice verse 3. We're in Daniel 12 again. Verse 3, those who have insight... Mark it carefully. Will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who apply themselves, those who know the times, those who understand what the Lord wants them to do, those who understand what he said as much as he's given to us. He hasn't told us everything there is to know. He's just told us everything that he wants us to know. So those who've applied themselves to that, those who have insight, notice what they're going to do. They will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead many to righteousness because that's what he tells us to do. Like the stars forever and ever. So he tells us this stuff so that we'll know what we're supposed to be doing, not waste our time. Have insight. So I've got to have, I've got to listen to what he tells us. And then through listening to what he tells me, I have insight. And then because of insight, I don't waste my time. And I would say also his. And then a fourth thing, God tells us this so that we can better understand our purpose in all that he's doing through us. Again, look at verse three. Look at the bottom part of verse three. It says, they will lead many, it says, to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. They will be. When do the stars come out? When they come out. In the dark, is that when they go off during, like they're off right now, right? And when the sun comes, goes down, the Lord flips the switch and they come back on. Isn't that right? 
No, it is not right, unless they're lying to us out there. I haven't been out to one of those stars yet, so I can't be totally sure. But I'm thinking that they're on no matter where. Right now, our, our, our vision is dominated by one particular star that we call the sun, but the, the other stars are still going on out there. They don't go off and on. They're always on. They never go off. They're always giving out their light, but you don't see them until it gets dark. It's interesting. I don't know if any of you from South Padre Island or have been here very long, but I will tell you, in the wintertime, one of the best places to go to see the stars is all the way up Highway 100 here, go all the way north till, the, till it says road ends ahead, and pull over there because it's a place where there's very little light pollution. Wait till a cold front comes through, wait till there's a clear sky, and go up there and look at the stars. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You're literally, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're out in the middle of the country. And because the less light pollution, you're able to see these stars. And that's what happens to stars. That's the way they work. The darker it gets, the brighter they get. Stars are not intended for the daylight. You want to be in the daylight. Whereas Christians, I, I, I just want things to go good. I want America to get better. And believe me, I do. I want things to, I want my life to get better. I want things to get better. I want, I want, if we're asking effectively, I want the darkness to go away. And God's saying, it's not going away. It's just going to get darker. Learn, learn to live where you are. Learn to be what you are. He tells us this so we can know. Like I said, it's not getting lighter. It's getting darker. In the book of Revelation, it, 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 it says it, we have a picture there in chapter 1 of Jesus standing in the midst of, those, of seven lampstands. turns out these lampstands are the seven churches that he writes the book of Revelation to. So he, 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 he pictures the, the church, the churches, as a lampstand. What does a lampstand do? Holds up the light. That's all that it does. I mean, you don't do anything else in the Middle Eastern times back in the, in the Bible times. The lampstand stayed back in the closet and you had windows that let light in during the daytime. But as soon as it got dark, you didn't have electricity. You brought out the lampstand. The lampstand's only good when it's dark. Stars. You can't navigate by the stars during the day. It has to be Dark, And so we shouldn't be shocked when things are getting dark around us that God is pushing us to the forefront. I, I want you to hear me uh, on something here real quick because I think it's, it's, a, it's a burden for me. It's, a, it's just for my own personal life, but I think it, I'm going to put it to you as well. Listen, when, when God moves you into dark places, stuff starts getting dark around you. Be very careful what you do. Be very careful what you think and be very careful what you say because you're in a place where you're supposed to shine. Be very careful. Because here's what happens in dark places. We start getting self-focused. Now I'll tell you something, a lamp cannot afford to be self-focused because a lamp is all about being others-focused, right? What's the purpose of a lamp and a lampstand? Just to give light to others. The lampstand doesn't need light. It's the others, right? You don't light a lamp and put it on underneath a bushel. It says you put it on top of a lampstand so it'll give light to everybody like we were talking to the kids. I, I, so God is putting us in a place where we'll give out light and yeah, we start, but we're scratching our heads, can't figure out why it's dark. Hello, you're a lamp. It's got to be darker. You don't matter. You're a star. It's got to be darker. Nobody can see. So quit being surprised when God pushes in a place like that. Recognize God is moving you in a place where you can shine. Be very careful what you think, what you say, and what you do. Because you're in a spot where God has you. Allow him to have you there. Trouble makes us better, I should say. Trouble makes us more of what we already are. Trouble makes us more of what we already are. Take a look at verse 8 and verse 10 through verse 10. As for me... 
I heard but could not understand. Poor Daniel. He goes all these incredible revelations, and yet you, most of us here, know more about what Daniel said than Daniel actually did in his lifetime. I, he's in heaven now, I think, knowing all these things. But, but uh, wow, talk about a guy under consternation most of his life, scratching his head. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all these? He's just trying to piece it all together. He's not a dumb guy, but he just, you know, it, it, he doesn't have the view that we have. And he said, go your way. Notice he doesn't give him an explanation. Go your way, Daniel. These words are concealed and sealed up until the end times. Many will be purged. Notice. It's a good thing. Purified. Refined. Good stuff. By what? By tough times. By troubling times. By the hard times. By, not by the plateaus, but when things are going all steep. That's when the purging happens. That's when the refining happens. He says, but the wicked will act wickedly. They're just going to, like I said, trouble just makes you more what you already are. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight, there it is again, will understand. They've applied themselves. They understand. They see a vision beyond life. They see a vision beyond the world. They see a vision from the direction of God because God has spoken to them through the scriptures. And the trouble now has made them better at what God has called them to do. There was a young lady who went to her grandmother. She was about 21, 22 years old, complaining to her grandmother about how tough life was and how different it was for her when she was younger compared to now when her granddaughter is the age she is and how society's changed and just wanted to quit and, and so troubled by the darkness that was around her and people going the wrong way and doing the wrong things. And so her grandmother said, I want to show you something. Took her in the kitchen. She drew three pots of water, set them on the stove to boil. When they were all three boiling... She put in one pot, she put carrots, raw carrots. Another pot, she put eggs, uncooked, raw egg, two eggs. And in the other pot, she poured a cup of coffee beans, let them boil for 20 minutes, turned off the heat. She scooped onto the plate some of the carrots. On another plate, she scooped one of the eggs and cracked it. And on the other plate, she ladled some of the coffee. Now, of course, the water had turned to coffee because she had coffee beans in it. She says, I want you to look at these three things. All three of these things face the same adversity. All were boiled. But notice, the first two, the water changed them. The carrot went in hard, right? Came out, came out weak. The, 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 on the other hand, the egg went in soft, came out hard. So that's, adversity can do that to you. But she said, the coffee, what did it do? So the first two were changed by the water. The last one change the water. She said, you've got to decide who you're going to be. You've got to decide what's going to happen to you because trouble's going to come. It's going to happen to everybody, all different types of people. They're all going to get it. You've got to decide what, what's going to happen to me. What am I going to do with this stuff? Am I going to just let it change me? Let it harden me? Let it soften me? Let it, I just go along with it however it blows me? Or am I going to decide to make a difference where I am? Shine in the ability that God has given to me. So God tells us this he tells us this so that we can know what our purpose is and what we're supposed to be doing between now and then. And finally, he tells us this so that we can know how it's really going to end. You've heard the message, right? The end is near, right? Well, it is. And a lion. It really is. Closer, we're a day closer than we were yesterday. I'm going to be certain of that. It's getting close. It really is. And so, but the end... The end of all stuff is not the same end for us who belong to God through his son Jesus. I want you to notice what he says to Daniel here in verse 13, last verse of the book. As for you, go your way, 
Till when? Till the end. And you will enter into your rest. What are you still talking about? So otherwise called dying. That's all it is, guys. That's your vacation. That's your retirement. That's, I'm not saying don't quit your job. Retire from that. But don't stop serving the Lord. God will retire you. And the way you'll know is you'll wake up in heaven. That's when you're retired. Until then, serve him. Serve him, serve him, serve him. That's your purpose down here. You're a lamp. Lamp doesn't get to turn itself off any old time. Stars don't get to quit shining. As long as you're down here, you're still serving. And you will go into your rest, he says to Daniel. You will enter your rest and, watch, rise again. Resurrection. For your allotted portion to the end of the age. This is how it's going to end. Back up to chapter, same chapter, look at verse 2. For many, it says, of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. What's that? Resurrection. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So it's saying that there's, there's not just a resurrection for those who believe. There's not just a resurrection for the good people. There's a resurrection for all people. Hear, hear me clearly. The scripture teaches that, that eternity is going to be an existence, a bodily existence, no matter where you go. Heaven or hell. It's going to be a bodily. It's not going to be floating around in the ethereal realms, this spiritual spirit out there, as it is currently right now for people, because there has not been a resurrection for people yet. But it will not be permanent. In case in point, Jesus says the same thing, John chapter 5. Very truly, I tell you, there's two resurrections spoken of here. We're going to make sure we cut them real cleanly in half, because Jesus does the same thing. First resurrection, here it is, if you will, the first terms of resurrection, I should say. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So I don't got to wait for a priest to come see me on my deathbed. I don't have to wait for the pastor to lead me in a prayer. I don't got to come forward to the church. I don't have to do a bunch of good deeds and hope that my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. What does he say? Again, you Let's, not, let's quit making up religion here. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, notice past tense, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That is resurrection. So when you trusted Christ in the way that he describes here, you were immediately resurrected, spiritually speaking, because he says that. It's past tense for you. So there, there, it does say in the scriptures that I can know in this life whether I'm going to heaven or hell, hear people talking all the time. I don't know. I won't know until I get there. Well, you better know before you get there. Or I would say probably if you don't know, the default is not going to be a good thing for you. You can know. Tells us that. You cross over. So it's a resurrection, but it's a spiritual one from death to life. Very truly, he's still talking about the same spiritual resurrection. I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. When does he say this? 2,000 years ago? So it's been a current event for 2,000 years, a time is coming and has now come when the dead, speaking of those dead in their trespasses and sins, you and me, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You must hear the voice of the Son of God or there will be no life in you. You're just like Lazarus, four days dead. Behold, he stinketh, his sisters say, right? That's what a person lost in their sins is. They stink to God. But a person who hears the voice of the Son of God and responds to him is a person who passes immediately from death to life. You have it on the Word of God right there, Jesus himself. Now he's going to shift gears. Same chapter. He's going to stop talking about spiritual resurrection. He's going to go to physical resurrection. Do not be amazed, he says at this. 
for a time is coming, notice, not yet. So the one, the one was a, is a current event and a past tense event if you trust in Christ, and the other one is yet to be. For do not be amazed, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves, how many? All. all. So not just the Christians, not just the believers, not just the faithful, not just those who belong to God. It's all of them. Like I said, it's going to be a bodily existence eternity is going to be. Hell is going to be a bodily experience. Heaven's going to be a bodily experience or the, the heavenly earth that God has for us. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. No exceptions. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Again, the Bible holds out clearly that there is a, a physical resurrection. Everybody's got, got it coming. Everybody. It's just that once that's over, it's going to be determined where you go. Then he says, classic, right? John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection. To life, that is. So you want, you want a resurrection to life. You want a resurrection to bliss. You want a resurrection to heavenly existence. You've got to be tied to him. Notice he doesn't just say he has power of the resurrection or that he knows how to do the resurrection or that he could pull it out of a hat somewhere. He says, I am the resurrection. Eternal life, listen, is a person. It's not just a substance that angel dust that God sprinkles on you. No, it's, it's a person. You must be right related to the person of God's son, Jesus. I am the resurrection. So if you want the resurrection and life, you must be related to him. He who believes, notice, not goes to church, not has a Bible, not prays a lot, not helps a little lady across the street. He who believes. So you have to believe in him will live even though your body dies. Even so. Even so. So yeah, there's an appointment headed to this world. It's not going to be good. And God's going to keep that appointment, and it is set, and it hasn't changed since the dawn of eternity. God has always had that appointment. He's always known what it is. But he has a different appointment for those who believe, doesn't he? A different direction, a different end. It's not going to be the same end. In fact, the end of all that we know is not going to be the, any kind of end for us. It's going to be the beginning. It's going to be the new. It's going to be something that all we've looked for and can't even imagine as unimaginable as the, as the hell that God's going to pour out in this world, it will be multiple, innumerable times better of the heaven that God's going to pour out for those who trust him. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes as we consider the things that God has said to us this morning. God has sent his son Jesus so that we don't have to have the hell that our sins have earned. So that we don't have to stand before God on our own merit. You don't want to ever do that. Because believe me, God has a list of things. He knows every last thing that you've done. No, you want to stand before God on the merit of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he sent Jesus to do. To merit salvation for us because we definitely could not merit ourselves. To earn it for us. To give life for us. To, to obey the law, his law, for us. So that everyone who trusts Jesus, who believes in him, just like he says, who ties themselves to them, to a person, the person of God's Son, ties himself to life, ties himself to resurrection, ties himself to an eternity in the presence of God, because all that comes through the person of Jesus. Have you trusted him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? I'm not asking if you, if you know that he is the Savior. I'm asking, do you know him as your personal Savior? Have you ever, as an act of your own will, placed your faith in him to as many as received him, the Scriptures say, 
To them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed in his name. Believe on him today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great salvation that you brought to us. I thank you, Lord, that though you write to us about the end and how important it is that we know this because you've given us the stuff we need to know. How important it is that we need to have insight so that we can shine. We can do what we call to do. We not live in ignorance. We can accomplish the things you've told us these things. How great a salvation you provided for us that not only gives us the privilege of serving you in this life, but being with you forever in the next. Thank you, Lord, that it's guaranteed because of your faithfulness, because you're good, because you're powerful. We don't have to hold on to any of this. In fact, we can't. It's you holding on to us. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for all that you've taught us through Daniel. I pray, God, you bless the things that we've learned into our hearts and lives. We'd be different as a result of it. pray all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.